Hello and welcome to Core Sampler, the podcast where we drill into the Sitecore community to bring you insights into the work talented people are doing every day on the Sitecore Experience platform. Whether you're a developer, a marketer, or both, we're glad you're here. And now your host, Derek Dysart. Welcome to Core Sampler. My name is Derek Dysart. In this episode, we're talking with Cam Figgy. Cam uh, is a technical architect at Connected DX out in uh, Portland, Oregon, and also a Sitecore MVP. Cam, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So I, I kind of had been trying to reach out to you. I, I wanted to go over, um, you have been extremely prolific in a bunch of kind of you know open source projects that are, are gaining quite a bit of traction in the Sitecore community. I kind of wanted to go over uh, a few of them just for folks that may not be completely familiar with them, kind of where they came from. But before we kind of dive into that, I mean, where where did you get your start with Sitecore? I mean, you, you, you're obviously... You know, putting out a lot of open source projects, as I as I mentioned, but um, where where did where did the the Sitecore journey for you start? Well, my Sitecore journey started, I think, about seven years ago. Actually, I guess it must be more than that now. Um, essentially, we started doing a project that shouldn't really have been on Sitecore. It was like a document management website, but we were told we were going to use Sitecore because it was the technology that was chosen. And there wasn't time for Sitecore training, you know, that, that whole fun thing. And back then this was Sitecore 531, I think was what we launched on. Okay. There was no documentation back then and there were very few blogs. And so it was very much pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get, get development going. And it, uh, it, it was kind of an interesting time, uh, that when Alex Sheba moved to the pro, uh, the, uh, uh, support team back when he used to work for them. We were actually his first on-site engagement. He came up to uh, to visit our team and help us out with a couple of things, and so uh, that that's always kind of my interesting, you know, anecdote of you know me and Alex. We go way back. <laughs> and one of the first, very first projects I worked on, uh, he got involved, and then actually he was involved in a later project as well. But but yeah, yeah, it was kind of fun working with him in the early days. Yep. Yes, it was. Now we just get to see his his path analyzer craziness he's pulling off. Exactly, his team is yeah, his team is definitely cranking out uh, some amazing stuff. I, I I have it under good authority, although no details that there's a, there's more amazing stuff to come. So yeah, it's uh they're they're definitely doing some cool stuff. But kind of let's let's dig into a little bit of you know kind of like like you said some of the open source projects. The one I I, I kind of actually wanted to start with, um, because I know they've all kind of recently. Uh, you know, we're recording this at the end of October in 2016. They've all recently released new versions, but the one I, the one I kind of find interesting is Dianoga. Not, not so much for it, it, the origin of the name, but I, th- I think it's, it's a, it's an interesting concept. Well, I guess why don't, why don't you explain a little bit about what, what it actually does in case the listeners aren't, aren't completely clear. Sure. So, there are a lot of image formats, uh, PNG and, and JPEG, for example, that, uh, when they're saved, there are some programs that save, you know, additional metadata and, and, you know, encodings that could be optimized to make the file size smaller. And so there are tools out there like uh, PNG Optimizer and uh, uh, JPEG Tran and things like that that are designed to basically make image files as small as humanly possible without changing their contents. And those are really popular among performance-oriented web developers because... If you can reduce the size of your downloads, your page can load faster. Sure. And page performance is a very heavy 
uh, focus for a lot of people because it's been proven that you can get ridiculous returns on investment for having people have to wait around less time. Right, right. Um, I was going to say, I, I think it, what, what I find interesting about it is, is as you mentioned, kind of uh, that the performance mindset. So I think a lot of uh, a lot of developers are kind of coming from the enterprise world, kind of an enterprise.net developer. And, um, you know, I, I think the initial goal, you know, kind of step zero for everyone is just to get the page to work. And I think once that's done, uh, you kind of look at, you know, things like image optimization. So you're not shipping a, a full, a lot of times it, it ends up stopping as, you know, design gave us a, you know, 2000 pixel wide image. We only need to show a thumbnail of it and we'll request that resized from, from Sitecore and, and therefore it's optimized, right? It's, you know, we're not, we're not sending, you know, we're not re, re resizing the image in CSS. So we're not shipping a humongous image down there, but I think this actually goes a step further, right? Yes. So this is designed specific, uh, Dianoga is specifically designed for media library images. So stuff that your content editors have uploaded, uh, as opposed to optimizing, you know, static, uh, you know, design images that would go as part of the, the site shell or anything like that. And it's, important to do that because especially content editors are probably not going to be as trained up on design as the development team is. And so they're not going to understand image optimization or the need to do that. And they may not understand also even image resizing. Like if you have a image, a content editor who, for example, thinks that they should upload like a five megabyte file for a, you know, a banner image that's like 1000 pixels wide. If you're not making Sitecore resize that down, then you could be serving five megabytes and not even realizing it and totally killing your site's performance. Yeah. Yeah. So where Dianoga fits in is, and, and it's also important to note when I mentioned Sitecore resizing that there are other image optimization tools out there for Sitecore, but they all operate in the media library level. So it takes the original file that was uploaded and optimizes that. Okay. But if you're taking Sitecore and using its built-in image resizing functionalities, which you ought to be to keep people from breaking the design unintentionally, uh, just like bounding the image to make sure it can't be far larger than it's expected to be. Right. right. Um, those image optimization tools other than Dianoga don't apply anymore because when Sitecore resizes the image, it actually converts it into a bitmap and then resaves it in the media cache using .NET's uh, APIs. So if the original was optimized, it's essentially being de-optimized by that resize operation. Interesting. Interesting. So where, where Dianoga comes in and makes it really useful is that it essentially intercepts the bitmap post resize and runs the optimize as it's being placed into Sitecore's media cache. So it's serving optimized things out of the cache no matter what resizing has been done, as opposed to leaving the resized images with .NET's image APIs relatively unoptimized output. Sure, sure. So you're basically taking it after Sitecore's kind of resized it. Now you're re, you know, even if it was optimized, Sitecore internally converted it to a, you know, a, a bitmap, resized it, and then yes. it's saving it. So you're you're taking it now after it's being saved and 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 running an optimization against it. Correct. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's you know it's kind of an area where um you know that that sort of level of you you get that in a lot of kind of front end technologies where you'll have front end developers very very concerned about kind of the um you know the 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 page weight if you will and kind of the the optimization of of 
the assets that are, are delivered down to the browser. But I, you know, I, I don't know unless you have kind of a dedicated front end staff or, or folks that are doing that. It may not be, it may not be on people's radar. Um, you know, they may be just happy to get the site up and running. Um, but like once it's running, how, how can you actually optimize it? And Leah, as you said, it's, it's, um, you know, it definitely pays returns to have a, a fast loading page, not just for user experience, but just even from an SEO standpoint, I know, uh, several search engines are taking page, page load speed into, into account when in their rankings. Exactly. And because the editors are going to be even less, uh, knowledgeable about image optimization than a dedicated front end team would be having it essentially be handled for them automatically on an ongoing basis is a pretty awesome thing. Yeah. And everything is all, you know, there's not really any configuration unless you want to change the default optimizers and you basically just install it and your stuff starts getting optimized no. as it goes into the media cache. Nice. So let's shift years a bit. I think uh, the other, uh, the other, and I, I think certainly that the project you're probably most no- well known for is, is unicorn and rainbow. And um, maybe for the folks that had never kind of heard of those two projects, they kind of, they kind of fit hand in hand if I, if I'm not mistaken. But um, but um, kind of go over what exactly they are and kind of what you what problem you were trying to solve because um, they're 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 a, it's a it's a pretty unique solution. Yeah, I mean, Unicorn's etymology is basically the same as all of my other tools. I saw something that was a pain in the rear in my daily usage of Sitecore, and I went to go and fix it. And uh, Unicorn, so sort of the dichotomy between Unicorn and Rainbow. I mean, Unicorn is designed to let you store items in Sitecore as files on disk. And by virtue of that, you can make the things that you have in the items in Sitecore look exactly like what you have on disk. So the idea is you take your development artifact type items like templates and renderings and things like that, and you store them as files on disk, commit those to source control. And then after you have pushed the, the code to a different environment, like say production, you can reliably bring all the the artifacts and templates and things that you did during development up into production by essentially running a sync to push all of the, the push essentially the state of the serialized items into that production database exactly the same as you did it during development sure. which you know there that's not a, a brand new thing in in terms of sitecore but what makes unicorn a bit unique is that everything is very automated um, so when the unicorn treats the disk as the master copy. So when you save an item or move an item or whatever in Sitecore, that is instantly updated on the file system. And so pretty much when you're doing development with Unicorn, all you have to know to do is when you're doing commits to your source control system, make sure that you commit your changed serialized files along with your commit. And then you should be pretty much good to go. Like it's, it's very hard to screw up. And when you pull somebody else's code down, if there's new serialized items that come along with that, then those items uh, get merged on disk as well, just using your source control systems merge tools, uh, which are pretty darn good at merging text files. Yep. And so that it, it keeps everything within the wheelhouse of developers that are familiar with source control. You don't have to dive super deeply into the way Sitecore works and you know what versioned and unversioned fields are and all that stuff. Correct. Because most of the time your source control can just merge it, like the, the whole format the Unicorn uses is a, a YAML-based format, and it's very much designed around being line-oriented so that any merge conflicts are minimized because everything is highly mergeable by text merge tools. Right, right. Yeah, because, I mean, I think, as you indicated, I think serialization is not... I mean, serialization is native to Sitecore. If you 
Uh, you know, if you're in the content editor and enable the developer toolbar, you can you can serialize items out to disk, and it ends up in the data directory underneath the serialization folder. I think Unicorn sounds like Correct. it gives you a little bit more uh, a little bit more flexibility of a where those where those files are stored, and then b which which of those items are are getting serialized, and then I, I mean, maybe c is not even ever having to think about it. Correct. I mean, the the built-in serialization tools would work if you were able to keep up with a very manual process like it doesn't do anything automatically um, you have to manually you know serialize new items and things like that which is very hard to remember to do um, especially if you're a new developer to Sitecore and then the format that Sitecore uses is different than the format that Rainbow uses um, and to be a bit clear here Unicorn is basically the configuration and syncing bits and Rainbow is basically the serialization format and how to deserialize to an item and things like that. So Rainbow is a separate library um, that is can be used to take on the serialization format. And Unicorn is just there to handle essentially all the item syncing and deployment operations. Yeah, yeah. So Unicorn gets stuff in and out of Sitecore and it's, you know, and it's stored using Rainbow. And Rainbow, Rainbow is kind of that YAML format that you mentioned. Right. And then the default format. Well, the YAML format exists because of limitations with the default format. Um, the default format uh, has assorted fun things like, for example, it stores the length of a data field, a content data field as an integer. So if you have a merge conflict on like a multi-list field, which is stored internally as like a pipe delimited list of GUIDs, yep. um, not only do you have to merge the, the line of pipe delimited GUIDs, but then you also have to recalculate the content length or it won't deserialize correctly. So you find yourself, you know, grabbing like a quick string length calculator and, and pasting that in to recalculate your file and you're doing your merge conflict. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a number of people probably nodding their heads. Uh, I think the one that bites everyone from time to time is the placeholder settings. Placeholder settings, you know, you define what what controls can go into uh, a certain placeholder. That, that that control list is a multi list, and as you said, it's stored as a as a series of GUIDs. I, I think most people I know just end up taking one one side of that uh, merge conflict and then you know just reconstructing it as opposed to trying to recalculate the the string length yep. because uh, you know it can be difficult. So I think it's uh you know if if people haven't run into that, it's that default serialization format does it has the field name and then a field length and you know if you if you merge it and it, the, the the other thing too is if if that field length isn't correct when you go to actually re-serialize that or deserialize that item back into Sitecore, it, it it will not let you do it it will not take the entire item it'll consider that serialization invalid exactly yeah it's it, it's an issue so i mean i think the 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 use of yaml i thought was actually kind of uh you know a brilliant take on that mainly just a, a, as a way to get around get around that that field length problem that you that kind of it's probably one of the limitations of that serialization format i think the other the other nice part about it is those files are a lot more readable yes yeah i basically that it originally was going to be a json based serialization format but I went away from JSON because you can't do multi-line strings in JSON. You'd have to like split them into an array or something really ugly like that. And that negated the whole mergeability need of, you know, like a, of the multi-list that's pipe delimited in a regular serialization format. Unicorn uses a, a field formatter that essentially changes it to be carriage return delimited when it stores it in YAML. 
so that line-oriented merge tools can just, you know, isolate a line and, and merge it instead of having to recalculate anything. A lot of times you might even just get the conflict to resolve without a problem. But I had to go to YAML for that because in, in JSON, you know, you have to put slash R slash N in your string literal. You can't actually use a carriage return in JSON, but you can in YAML. So I spent, mm -hmm. I actually had a pretty much working JSON format and then I had to throw it all out and, you know, go looking for something that was better and, and ended up on YAML. Then I had to write my own YAML parser because a general purpose YAML parser that can parse the whole scope of the language is extremely slow, like on the order of 10 times slower than JSON.net. So uh, the rainbow YAML parser is basically parsing a very small subset of what is valid YAML and uh, is thus very fast comparatively to say, you know, yamble.net or something like that. Yeah. And I think folks, if, if you haven't kind of checked out, I guess what is a good way I, I think to, to get started with unicorn, I I'll, I'll fully admit my only exposure to it is, is kind of looking at some example, some example projects that have been configured. And it seems like, you know, if you can compare and contrast it, I think a lot of, uh, you know, there's, there's a, there's a number of folks out there that may be familiar with Hedgehog's team development for Sitecore, which still uses the native serialization format. Kind of what could you compare and contrast? Kind of how do you get a, uh, get, uh, a project set up on Unicorn, you know, say I've got, you know, maybe I'm not using TDS or maybe I'm not using anything at all. I'm just relying on m shuttling my templates and, and renderings over via, you know, maybe via Sitecore content packages or something like that. What's, uh, I guess, what's the, what are the steps of, of getting Unicorn set up for a project? Sure. So it's, it's actually designed around being very simple to set up. Uh, so you basically go and open your NuGet dialog and you find the Unicorn package and install it on your website. And the package has a readme file that comes with it. So it'll open up in Visual Studio with steps to get you started and uh, some next steps like where to find documentation and things like that. Um, and But the, the general steps of getting started... Basically, you just have to tell Unicorn what you want to keep serialized, and that's done by predicates, and there's all sorts of include and exclude rules that you can use on that. There's documentation about where to find those, and there's a test case for all of them. So you can see literally in real like in real time if there's any new grammars or anything added to that, it'll be added to the test file that it runs through the unit test to make sure everything's working correctly. So once you have your items set up that you want to include, normally that would be you know templates, renderings, things like that. The next thing you have to do is do an initial reserialization. So because with Unicorn, the disk is the master copy of everything, you have to give it something to start with because your disk doesn't start full of serialized items. And so you just load up the Unicorn control panel, which is at slash unicorn.aspx, and hit reserialize on your uh, configuration or configurations that you've got. That will basically take all the items that match that configuration that are in the Sitecore database and write them all to files on the disk. And at that point, now you've essentially seeded the disk as being the master. From then on, you basically just go about your development, move things, change things, rename things, delete things, and the disk will follow exactly what you did in the Sitecore content editor. And uh, when you pull changes in from somebody else, or when you're doing a deployment to uh, a, another environment, like a dev server or something like that, you just run a sync, which is done no normally for uh, local development. You do it through the Unicorn control panel. You just hit a button that says sync all the things. And at that point, it takes the state of the items on disk and forces Sitecore to look exactly the same as that. So if you pull in changes from somebody else, 
then you just run a sync and then your database looks exactly like what they had built. Um, that's great for, you know, doing feature branch development and things like that, where you might be switching branches a lot, need to review other people's, you know, changes to Sitecore. And there's also for uh, doing continuous integration and things like that, uh, there's a, a PowerShell-based uh, PowerShell module API that you can really quickly use to essentially authenticate and run a sync to the Unicorn control panel um, from a PowerShell build script. And there are people using that with anything from, you know, Visual Studio Team Services to uh, Octopus Deploy. Great, great. I was going to ask about that as I, I think I could, you know, visually see as my local system while I'm doing development, kind of syncing my content into disk and then ultimately committing that to my source control system. But I, I guess I was going to ask, how does, you know, once once I've done with that, is, is it a matter of uh, now I need to deploy this to, you know, say a, de- a development server or a QA server or even production, I guess, where does where does Unicorn fit into that? So when Unicorn is running on production, um, you turn off like Unicorn runs with a data provider. That's how it captures all of the uh, the updates and changes you make to Sitecore. Okay. Um, and it uses such a low level construct. I mean, for people familiar with data providers, they're generally regarded as a very black art for a very good reason. Um, the only reason I'm using a data provider instead of something higher level is that many of the higher level abstractions for capturing data in Sitecore, like the item saved event, for example, um, are bypassed by a lot of types of item changes like installing update packages or regular packages, um, some API things. If you're running code inside an event disabler block, for example, it will miss changes. And as you might imagine with the serialization tool that is designed to have the disk be the master, missing changes basically means next time you sync, you lose data, and that's a bad thing. So the data provider is there so that nothing can get by uh, the, the change detection and so when you push it to prod, because you don't actually want changes to be written to serialized items, you get rid of the, the data provider config and uh, each of the configuration files Unicorn ships with has a comment as to, you know, you should have this when you're doing content delivery, or you should have this when you're doing content editing, or you should only have this on dev. So you get rid of the data provider so it's not trying to write files. And then essentially you just uh, you set a, a shared secret for the authentication of the automated script. And then you set the same shared secret in the the PowerShell module. And as part of your deploy, it basically makes an HTTP call after the deploy is done out to the server that was deployed to, to say, run a sync now on the the item state. And then the item state is pushed up into that environment. And uh, any changes are added to the published queue and published by default as well. But you can turn that off if you don't like it. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds like you, what you would ultimately you're doing is you're kind of disabling the two, one, one way of the, the two way sync that is going on. Exactly. That, you know, Sitecore is not, not going to try and write stuff to disk anymore. Uh, you've shut off the data provider and then you still have kind of the, the, the script based way of, of actually syncing, syncing your content. Exactly. So I guess the, the, the final project I was going to look at, uh, you know, and kind of pick your brain on was synthesis. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. So, uh, when people are doing development with Sitecore, there's a whole multitude of different solutions for handling how to address Sitecore templates. Um, you could go anywhere from, uh, like on a view rendering, you could do, uh, you know, at html.sitecore.field and then hard code in a string field name to, uh-huh. you could be using, you know, glass or synthesis or something else like that that basically runs through your template hierarchy in Sitecore and maps that to classes in one way or another. So kind of sort of uh, strongly typed 
access to your Psychor field. Exactly. Um, and then there's people like uh, Habitat, for example, out of the box, actually uses constants classes where they've hard-coded the IDs of fields into a big class. And so you'll see, you know, HTML.SiteCore.Field, you know, constants.TemplateName.FieldNameID uh, and things like that. I think that d- tends to be pretty ugly to read. Um, it is, but and, and I had attended some of the training on that, and I, I thought the argument was valid that by using the field ID in a constant, so you've kind of buried that that ugly GUID behind that. Um, and, but I thought the interesting argument was by using the field ID, you know, when accessing a field uh, as opposed to the name, you could have two identically named fields. And if I remember right, say if you have two, you know, just by some poor design, really, if you have a template that's got two fields named like subhead, it will, Sitecore will retrieve the first one, if I remember right, if it goes up the sort order. But if you actually have the field ID, you can actually access both of those, which I thought was an interesting argument for using the field IDs, probably a a slightly better step in the right direction from using the, the field names, as you said. And, you know, if you're just in your view rendering, going after the field name by name, but you know, it's still not, it's still not using a strongly typed field name. You know, if you have a checkbox field, it's still, you're going to have to, and I had this discussion with Mike Edwards uh, regarding class, you still have to convert that to, you know, a Boolean if that's what ultimately you want to read. That's correct. And so the the other advantage, of course, is that when you reference a field by name, Sitecore internally has to go and do a resolution process to look up that field name to a field GUID because all the access in the back end is by GUID because that's what's in the database. And so there's a slight performance hit to doing that uh, because the first hit to that field essentially has to populate the cache by going to the database to figure it out. Yep. But synthesis, uh, this is actually a, a nice segue into talking about why synthesis is a little different than like glass or uh, Fortis or other mappers like that. There's kind of two ways that that you could go about it. The mapping tools, and this is a bit of a loose use of mapping here, like Glass and Fortis, you put you make a, a C-sharp class and then you put decorations on it to map it to Sitecore fields um, by name or ID or however you want to do it. And Synthesis goes a little bit the opposite direction. Synthesis is code generator first. So with, uh, with Glass and uh, Fortis, you can go use a code generator if you want, but you can also generate classes manually. And, and in fact, with Glass, that's generally the recommended way to do it. And then map them to the fields, you know, exactly the way you want them to be. With Synthesis, it's code generation first, and it's an integrated code generator, which means that Synthesis's generated classes are not really designed to be like human wireable per se. Um, so in the case of synthesis, for example, you mentioned field names. Synthesis never uses field names because when it's doing generation, it has IDs to work with. So right. it'll generate. And if you have more than one, like if you have that correctly assessed as a bad design decision, uh, it's a template that has two fields of the same name. Synthesis will actually generate a, you know, field name property and a field name one property. And it's up to you to disambiguate which one's which. It still can't really do that for you because they're named the same. But you do have that access to the two separate fields, um, and it is deterministic which one gets the one after it. So it, it's always guaranteed to be the same field. Great, great. So you're basically is is now is that kind of a manual process of okay, my template design is done. Now I need to you know run synthesis to generate a template or or generate my class that represents that template. Correct. It is at the moment. Um, synthesis is also a little different than a lot of the other code generators in that it is. Uh, in process, essentially. 
So most of the other code generation stuff is all written in T4 templates, so you generate it through Visual Studio. In the case of Synthesis, it actually runs alongside Sitecore. It's just DLL sitting in the bin folder, and the code generation runs using CodeDOM, which is actually a relatively old Microsoft uh, C-sharp code generation library these days. Uh, but it is, it's essentially running live against the Sitecore database, doesn't require any sort of connections or anything, because it's actually running as a request, like a web request to Sitecore itself to do the regenerate. Sure. Uh Um, The advantage of that is that T4 is relatively slow. Um, Synthesis can regenerate, you know, a pretty good sized set of templates in like a couple of seconds. Um, T4, last I knew, was quite a bit slower than that. Um, And also, you know, code DOM is is basically all compiled code. So it's very fast in terms of of its uh, emission of code. So the other thing, because it is code generation first and it's integrated, um, it can do some querying things that other... uh, site core, I guess we can call them ORM frameworks, but they're not really ORM frameworks in the sense of a traditional SQL ORM. Uh, But the other frameworks, because they can bind to essentially whatever class you define, um, you have to manually implement, like, say, uh, interfaces for your template hierarchy. If your code generator does that, great. But like Glass, for example, won't force you to map to the right type. It's up to you to make sure that you're mapping the right type to the right object. Um, in the case of synthesis, because it is completely integrated, it knows that it's generated the complete state of the templates uh, that you've asked it to include for the state when it was generated. And so it can essentially use, uh, like it knows based on template ID with a very fast lookup, what object type it should create. And because it's all code generated, it can actually code generate in advance a factory for creating that object. So it doesn't have to go through reflection or any sort of, you know, looking up attributes or anything like that. So the, the, the actual creation of a synthesis object is extremely fast because it's all native C sharp. Sure. Sure. And that was, that that was where I was going to ask next is, is are you kind of, you know, if you look at, and this is the discussion I had with Mike Edwards talking about glass is that they're at runtime. Every time you're instantiating one of those, they're actually mapping all the, the information into into the object that you've created, the glass object. Where does synthesis fall on that? Is is it more kind of wrapping the native Sitecore uh, APIs? Yes. So so like when you're accessing a property on a on a synthesis object, you're actually going back into the database to get it. Correct. Synthesis is a wrapper, so it it is essentially a very fancy facade around an item class underneath. Sure. Um, sure. And that gives it performance advantages and that it doesn't have to spend any time doing mapping, but it also gives you, you know, the negatives of being a wrapper in that, you know, if you wanted to throw that object in a cache, for example, it's not completely disconnected from Sitecore. So you're probably throwing a lot more into cache than you might think you are. And because it's a wrapper, I mean, there are some sort of landmine properties. Like if you go get a path on a Sitecore item, for example, it may look like it's just a string property. It actually involves a database lookup every time you hit it. And so if you threw that in a cache, you'd be caching it, but you wouldn't actually be caching the path because it's not cached on the object. So when you hit the path, you're actually going to the database anyway. Sure, sure. So it's if you wanted to actually cache something that came out of synthesis, and this is kind of a good demarcation, like glass is kind of designed to map to sort of your more or less final data model. Synthesis is designed to be a very lightweight wrapper around the current state of Sitecore's templates. So if I would not advocate, for example, uh, passing a view model to a controller that was a raw synthesis model, unless all you were doing is rendering fields off that item. 
Like you really like if you're putting it in cache or something, you should be abstracting out into a different view model object, the synthesis object. It's really just a wrapper. Like it shouldn't be viewed as your final domain model. And because it is code generation first, you don't get to really customize that output a whole lot. Like it's really designed to be, as I said, a lightweight wrapper around the state of Sitecore when you did your generation. It's not supposed to be your final domain model and don't expect it to be that. Like if you want a final domain model, map map your synthesis object onto it and that will be what you can and can use as a final output. Synthesis is just basically an accelerator to make sure you're getting fields that actually exist off your templates. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, I don't think a lot of people are familiar with it. That's kind of why I wanted to cover it. It's, uh, you know, it's definitely a different option in, you know, in the, in the grand tool bag of things that we can use to approach a, a Sitecore project. So that's kind of, uh, I had, I had stumbled across it looking up something else and it was actually kind of fascinated by it. That was kind of why I wanted to, wanted to ask you about it. I, I, I guess a, a kind of a final question for you is where do you come up with the great, great names for all your projects? <laughs> um, well, they sort of evolve over time. I mean, synthesis, for example, um, the etymology of synthesis is actually from before there were any publicly released mapping frameworks for Sitecore at all. Like it was predating, you know, custom item generator and things back in the day. And uh, it was originally called, I don't even remember what it was called. It was something really boring, uh, but it was renamed to synthesis for its first public release because essentially I took the, stuff that we had done internally and combined it with sort of the best features of any other mapping frameworks that I had found at the time. So that would have been, you know, custom item generator, um, domain objects back then that, uh, that Robin had made and a couple of other, uh, frameworks. I forget all of them, but pretty much all of them except glass and Fortis, which wasn't around then either have, uh, gone out of fashion, but essentially the idea was I was synthesizing, you know, essentially the ultimate, in my opinion, mapping framework for Sitecore. And so that sure. kind of became its name. Uh-huh. And then uh, Dianoga was um, for the less nerdy people in the audience. Uh, Di- the Dianoga is the, the name of the sewer monster in the trash compactor in Star Wars A New Hope. Right. And right. Um, I chose that name because I was looking for the, a name that was an animal because I had sort of started that with Unicorn and that was also basically something that lived under the covers, like, and just did things without you seeing it, because that was kind of the the whole design behind Dianoga was, you know, it just sits there in the background. You don't even have to know that it's there, and it's just optimizing your things without you thinking about it. So I went with a sewer monster. Yeah, and it's cleaning up the garbage, right? Exactly. So that, was, that was that was where I kind of thought. So if that wasn't the original intention, it it, it was kind of a a bonus add on, I guess. Uh, how about unicorn? Where did that, uh, you know, or is that just kind of, you know, the, the, the classic, I needed something, uh, and this thing served, served the purpose, uh, so much so that, you know, it was, uh, you kind of hear about unicorns. Uh, it, it's a term that's bandied about quite a bit, especially in the tech world in terms of things that just don't exist. You know, it, it is the ultimate form of something that, uh, we wished exist. And, you know, and when we, when we do find it, we kind of refer to it as, you know, like, oh, that's that's a unicorn. Sure. Um, we'll go with that. <laughs> there there are other stories behind it, but uh, yeah, we'll not share those. Sure. Yeah. And I guess, uh, you know, one other part, you know, and you and I kind of chatted privately about this, you know, Rainbow is being, you know, that your, your serialization formats actually 
uh, being used for, for other purposes. Now, um, a colleague of yours, uh, just, um, and I, I believe you guys, uh, at the, at the Portland, um, Psychor meetup had just kind of did a demonstration of sidekick, yes. which is kind of, uh, you know, I, obviously it's not your project, but maybe for, for folks to, uh, kind of to seek out the, um, uh, the, the demonstration of it. And I guess we'll, de- we'll definitely have links to, uh, to the video in, in the show notes, but just a high level, what, what exactly is sidekick and kind of how is it using rainbow? Sure. So uh sidekick is sort of a, a general purpose, like almost like app framework for Sitecore. Um, and so it's built on angular. And the idea is that you can build little applications for it that uh, you can quickly access in Sitecore. So there's like an application that gives you like quick links to core database locations. And there's an application that gives you like audit logs on item changes. But the one that people have been talking about a lot is the, uh, the content migrator. And the content migrator essentially takes uh, the age old problem of you've got a production server and like a staging and a dev server. And people always want to have the content get pulled down from production into those earlier environments but they also don't want to wipe out, you know, all of the, say, the template changes that are coming up out of Unicorn or something or, or whatever you're deploying them with from dev. So you have this weird double-ended uh, process where you've got some items coming up from the bottom and content items that people want to come down from the top. And uh, Jeff Darchuk, my coworker, and uh, another fellow Sitecore MVP came up with this idea of essentially using Rainbow as a REST service And so what Content Migrator does is you define a remote server that you want to be able to pull content from. It goes and enumerates the content tree on that server using a a service installed on it and allows you to essentially, it serializes the content into YAML format and then sends those YAML files over the wire to the local server where they get essentially compared. And if there's a change written into the database, um, almost like you could, it's kind of like a unicorn type process, except that it's across servers as opposed to from disk into Sitecore. Sure. And uh, he's got it really optimized using, you know, multi-threading at this point to the point where it's, I think in some tests, like 1200% faster than doing a Sitecore package. Like he installed, I think about 20,000 items out of a package. And I think it took almost like 70 minutes. And he installed those same 20,000 items with Sidekick in, I think, about 10 minutes, something like that. And those were, like, all brand new items. Like, it's it's crazy fast what he's got that optimized down to. Well, that was the, that was the thing that caught my eye. And I think it's, it's, it's a problem a lot of folks uh, run into, especially after you've launched the site. And now, you know, you're, you're maybe doing an enhancement and... Uh, you know, marketing or the content owners have, you know, have they, they've done their thing. They've, you know, they've, they've taken your, your beautiful creation and, and hopefully not ruined it. And, uh, they, they've developed other content. And now you want to be able to test, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they report a bug and, uh, you need to test it using the content that they have in production. And it's always, it's always a, you know, how do we pull all that content? That's not necessarily like, as you said, developer artifacts, you know, the templates and all that we have, but you know, they've created pages, they've created, you know, landing pages and images and so forth. Uh, how do we pull that, that content down and not kind of stomp on our, uh, you know, the work that we're working now, you know, I've seen, I've seen methods of, okay, let's pull down, uh, you know, a complete backup of the master database, 
Um, yep. And then, you know, restore that. And it, that, that works until, you know, marketing is uploaded thousands and thousands of PDFs in your master databases, you know, like 30 gigs. And if you're pulling that down off a hosting environment, now you're at the mercy of your, of your, you know, your, your internet connection. Yes. Or, you know, like, okay, let's go in and we'll create a Sitecore package. So you go into package designer and you know, put all that together. But it, 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 it as you kind of indicated, that can be slow to pull all that down. Uh, and that, I guess that was the thing that caught my eye the most on that was, um, the uh the speed at which you can you can pull that information down so if i if i heard you right basically you're installing a service on say your production server um that then this sidekick application will connect to and then use the rainbow format to pull that information down into you know kind of a down level uh down level instance of sitecore exactly and he's hooked up all sorts of you know snazzy interfaces that show you the process of it in real time and give you error reporting and all that other sort of stuff that you'd expect out of a tool like that yeah, yeah. So definitely check out the show notes. We'll have a link to that uh, that demonstration, the, the the video of it. It's it's um it, it's pretty fascinating. And I think uh, as a developer, it, it's a common problem that I think we've all run into from time to time of how do we pull that information down. So uh, definitely check that out. Well, Cam, it's been great talking to you. Uh, I guess uh, if people don't know where to find you online, where where could they find you? Um, well, my name everywhere is Camsar. So, uh, Camsar.net is my blog. I'm Camsar at GitHub. Um, and I am, I think Camsar also on Sitecore Slack, Sitecore Stack Exchange, all those things. Sure. Sure. Well, th- hey, thanks for being on the show and, uh, thanks for, uh, you know, sharing your time with us today. And, uh, we will, uh, see all of you guys next time on Core Sampler. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Core Sampler. To see show notes from this and past episodes, please visit coresampler.fm. There you can also subscribe to this podcast to get new episodes as soon as they're released. If you liked what you heard today, please tell a friend and then go to iTunes to rate and comment on our show. Even if you're using a different app to listen to us, those ratings and reviews really do help others find us. Are you a professional working with Sitecore and interested in joining the show? Or would you like to leave some feedback directly? We want to hear from you. Drop us a line at info at coresampler.fm. That is all for this episode of Core Sampler. We'll see you next time.